All right, 2 Samuel chapter 11 tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 11. While you're turning there, just a sort of a quick commercial, if you will, but also I think it'll be a, an encouragement to you all. We've got three more weeks after tonight looking at David. And then we've also got about three more weeks in our study of Romans. And for the rest of the summer on into early fall, uh, what I've chosen to do is to really focus on some of the smaller books in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at one of those books on Sunday morning. We're going to be looking at the other three on Tuesday evening. And, and the reason I think that this will be an encouragement to you is one of the greatest pieces of advice I got as a young Christian when I really had a hunger for God's Word and wanted to get into God's Word was don't overwhelm yourself with big books of the Bible. Pick a book that's only one chapter and in a sense, master that book. Learn that book and you can say, if it's only a chapter, spend time in it and go, okay, there's one book of the Bible that I know pretty well. It might only be a chapter, but it's a book of the Bible. And so, by the end of summer into early fall, my hope and prayer is that everyone at the Oasis will be able to say that they really have a handle and they really have four books of the Bible down from beginning to end. Because we're going to spend several weeks in each of these books, even though they're only one chapter. So we're going to be looking like on Tuesday night at Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John. On Sunday morning, we're going to be spending five weeks in just one book that's one chapter, and that's the book of Jude, one of my favorite books of the Bible. So we're going we're gonna to get deep. You're going to understand those books when we get done. And I, for me, it was like, okay, I might not know a lot of the books of the Bible, but when I get this done, I'm going to know those four books really, really well. So I'm excited to go through those. And just because they're small doesn't mean they're not mighty. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff in a small amount of, of space. So I'm really excited to share those with you as well. Now tonight, we come obviously to a defining moment in David's life and a defining moment really in our study because we're transitioning from the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel where we saw David's triumphs to now chapter 11 on through the rest of the book of 2 Samuel that really uh, outlined David's troubles. And they all hinge on what happens here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Most people, if you were to talk to them about David, they remember two things about David's life. They remember his high point, which for them is the killing of the giant Goliath, and they remember his low point, his adultery with Bathsheba. I want to point out tonight that David was able to conquer even the extreme giants outside of himself, but he couldn't conquer the biggest giant he was ever going to face, which was the giant within. Can I say that's true of all of us? The greatest giant we will ever face is not the big giants externally. The greatest giant we will ever face is the giant of our old nature, that human flesh that we've been talking about in our study of the book of Romans on Sunday mornings, the giant within. David couldn't slay that giant. 
Now, a couple other things before we dive into it. Obviously, what we're seeing here is the result of something that's been going on in David's life for many, many months. In other words, just like any of us, David didn't get to this point of making these bad decisions in his life at a, at a quick point. His spiritual life began to deteriorate somewhere in the past. And what we're seeing now in chapter 11 is just the results of that. Somewhere back there, he stopped sowing to the spirit and started sowing more to the flesh. And so his inner spirit, his inner man became very weak and very susceptible to what was going to happen in chapter 11. That's true of all of us as well. It's not what we are or where we are, it's what we're becoming. And we're either moving forward in our relationship with God and we're getting stronger, or we're, we're heading backward and we're getting weaker. There is no such thing in, in a Christian's life uh, where we remain static. Where we get to a certain point, we plateau off and we just stay there. That never happens. We always must be aware that we're either moving forward and making progress in our walk with God or we're moving backward. And for a time before these events in chapter 11, David obviously was moving backward and had gotten to a very weakened condition spiritually. The other thing I want to point out is this. This chapter certainly illustrates when we talk about leadership. And we've been looking here at David, the model of a godly leader and principles of leadership through, through this, that Probably the main point I could make tonight about leadership is simply the most important principle that you and I can learn as leaders is to lead ourselves. We've Certainly we're going to manage and, and we're going to be entrusted with other people as leaders in our lives. But more importantly than leading them and managing them is making sure that we are always leading ourselves and managing ourselves. As Paul told Timothy in the New Testament, I think in 1st or 2nd Timothy, he told Timothy, take heed to yourself, then take heed to your ministry. And that's very important because just like David, this was the sweet singer of Israel. This is the guy that wrote most of the Psalms. This is the guy that had an unbelievable personal relationship with God. This is a guy that God said in his word was a man after his own heart. And yet we see that even this man was susceptible to fall to the greatest depths from the greatest heights. If that can happen to David, that can happen to any of us. We always, first of all, must make sure that we are in a good place. One of the things that I encourage all of our leaders here uh, at the Oasis is make sure that you're okay. That I care more about you and where you're at than your ministry. I I would rather your ministry uh, maybe have to be put on hold or, or not do so much if you are struggling. Because unlike other churches, we don't want to see anybody begin to sort of get crushed under the weight of ministry and where the ministry becomes more important than the people. In a sense, the ministry is people. And we don't want to sacrifice people in ministry. I would rather back off of a ministry 
to salvage the people than to keep pressing forward the ministry and run those people into the ground. Because again, the most important thing about leadership is making sure that we are okay and in a good place. And one of the hardest things for especially a spiritual leader to do is be honest enough with themselves to say, you know what, I'm not in a good place. I need to step back for a while or step down for a while. It's one of the best things a leader can do, but it's one of the hardest things that a leader can do. Because it is humbling, and we've all been there. Um, All of us can even... Even when we're doing things we like to do, for instance, I'll use me as a, I love what I do. I tell people I'm having the time of my life as the pastor of the Oasis. But even doing what you love to do with the people that you love to do it with, you still need to step aside and take a break every once in a while. Which is why in about a month, our family is going to step aside and take a break. Because we don't take too much, too many Sundays and Tuesdays off, and unless we get food poisoning, <clears throat> and then that wasn't intentional. Um, but we all need to do that because even when you're doing the things that you like to do, we all need to take that break and make sure that we are staying refreshed and staying refueled and all of that. And all this really, we see was not happening with David at this point in his life and why he came to this point. So let's dive into it tonight. Notice in verse 1, in the spring of the year, 2 Samuel 11, at the time when kings normally conduct wars, because they did it based on weather, obviously, David sent out Joab with his officers and the entire Israelite army, and they defeated the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Notice the principle here. David should have went with the army. And yet, at the end of verse 1, it says he sat down. He remained in Jerusalem. In a sense, in a figurative way, David took his armor off. Should have never done that. David was not doing what God would have expected him to do. And because he didn't do what he should have been doing, he put himself in a position of great vulnerability. One of the things the Bible teaches is that sins of commission, doing things or getting involved in things that we shouldn't be getting involved with, many times are born out of or fueled by sins of omission, not doing or not being where we should be. That's David. David should have, as the king of Israel, been out there leading the army in battle, going forward, because that's what kings normally did. But David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his sin of commission of adultery with Bathsheba was because of his sin of omission of not being where God wanted him to be, and not doing what God wanted him to be doing. You and I need to make sure that we are not neglecting things that we should be doing. I just, I I try to encourage Christians all the time, guys, it's, it's not rocket science, it's not hard, it's just a matter of being consistent. 
It's just a matter of being consistent to church and being consistent in your time in the Word and being consistent in your prayer life and being consistent to, you know, even hang around other godly Christians and just... It's just being consistent. It's not doing anything major. It's just doing the things that we should be doing which keeps that strength and keeps us in a good place rather than saying, oh, I'm not going to do that. And then we get in a bad place where then we open ourselves up to things that we shouldn't because we're simply not doing the things that we should. That's David. Great principle here. He should have been out in the battle, and instead he took his armor off. So the Bible says, verse 2, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around. Literally in the Hebrew, he paced back and forth. He couldn't sleep. Now, I'm not going to, I don't know whether he couldn't sleep because he wasn't in a good place with God, and that certainly is possible. I mean, David's in a bad place like, like many of us sometime. You know, You can't really enjoy sin because you got too much of God in you and and you can't really enjoy God because you got too much sin at that point in you. You're in a no-win situation. And that's where David was. And, And so maybe the reason he couldn't sleep is because he knew, he knew in his heart, he wasn't in a good place spiritually and so he couldn't sleep. He was pacing back and forth on the roof of his palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Literally in the Hebrew, he gazed at. He looked intently. He's glued to what he sees. Now, like any of us, especially guys, there might be times in our life where something just, an image pops up. It's like, whoa, we can't help that. But we can choose to continue to look after it gets there. That's true for any of us in any temptation. And that's what the Bible is saying where David made the mistake. Not so much that he just happened to see Bathsheba bathing, but that when he saw that, he was glued to what he saw. And the Bible says, this woman was very attractive. There's not too many times in the Bible where the Bible uses the word very. So when the Bible says she was very attractive, I think you and I get the picture. But again, I want to make this statement because I made it on Sunday. The strength of temptation is in the state of our hearts, not in the nature of what or who is tempting us. So don't, we can't say, well, you know, it was because she was so beautiful. No. His heart wasn't in the right place. It it wouldn't have mattered at that point maybe what the temptation was. He was in a very weakened condition spiritually. Because we know, again, like I said Sunday, taking even Joseph as an example, Joseph was faced with a woman throwing herself at him. And yet he had the strength to say no and ran away. So... It's not what is tempting us that's as important or defining to what and how we handle it as much as where our heart is at that moment. 
And that's why, again, we've got to keep our heart, as the Bible says, because out of it are all the issues of life. That's one of the things we're learning here in the book of Romans about our flesh. You know, people get all caught up, even Christians, about the externals, but you and I carry that fallen, sinful human nature everywhere we go. You can't get rid of it. It's there. And that's why the most important principle of leadership is making sure we're keeping our heart tender towards God and we're keeping our heart in the right place. And that we're spiritually, internally feeding our spirit rather than our flesh. Then we'll be able to stand up and say no to these temptations. Then notice the Bible says in verse 3, David sent someone to inquire about the woman. He didn't do this quickly. In the Hebrew, the word inquire means to seek with care, even frequenting a place. So it wasn't like David saw her that night and immediately sent for her. Get the picture here. David saw her that night, gazed, but then David began to calculate. That's again where sin starts. It starts in the mind. And he began to calculate and maybe reason falsely within himself of of how this could, could happen, how this could come about. And probably started to fantasize and the whole nine yards were going through David. But this wasn't something that happened quickly. The Bible is telling us here that he sent messengers basically to frequent her place and to find out as much information about her as he could. So again, there's some time lapsing here. And at any point, I'm sure the conviction of the Spirit of God was in David. He could have said, what am I doing? And stopped it. But then we even get to the point where the messenger eventually says to him, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And that should have been enough right there, right? Well, she's somebody else's wife. That's it. That should have ended it. It's also very interesting that the name Bathsheba means daughter of an oath. Wow, how ironic is that? an oath, and you think about covenant, and you think about commitment, and you think about marriage, and David and Bathsheba are getting ready to break it all. And then the name Uriah, the husband that she was married to, his name means Jehovah is my light and flame. Wow, that wasn't true of David at this point. I also want to say this. No situation like this is ever totally one-sided. Yes, David bears the majority of responsibility for several reasons. But I believe that Bathsheba carried some responsibility in this as well. I think that she could have said no. But based on what we know about this passage and others... She was a wife who was home all by herself. Her husband was out for months and months and months on the battlefield. And I'm sure that she was not in a good place either or keeping herself in a good place. So the Bible says David sent some messengers to get her. Interestingly, again, in the Hebrew, the words get her mean literally to take from or to steal. David was taking something or someone that wasn't his. And so what we have here is a principle of leadership. He was abusing his power as a leader. 
one of the things we have to be aware of is leadership, especially before God spiritually, is a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. And one of the things God always warns us about as leaders is don't ever use your position, your role, your power, your influence for anything evil, for anything negative. Don't abuse your power. In fact, again, the Bible says that leaders are to be servants. And we are to be examples to others. And too many leaders get into positions and begin to have, you know, power and authority and influence and begin to abuse that. That's where David was at this point, by taking or stealing Bathsheba that was not his. And the Bible says he had sexual relations with her. Now, at that time, she was in the process of purifying herself from her menstrual uncleanness. Why does the Bible mention that? Because the Bible wants us to know that this confirms she was not already pregnant when her and David had those relations. But it also points this principle out. You have two people here, really, David and Bathsheba, who are still interested in making sure that she goes through the ritual purifications of the law and she just committed adultery? It's like a lot of us. We, when we get in a bad place, we strain at gnats and we swallow camels. Or, saying it this way, we'll pay attention to all these little things and yet there's a big gaping hole in our spiritual life that we're just not seeing. And we're thinking, and, and again, to those who are in a good place, we look at people making these kind of choices and go, what are they thinking? But again, back to Romans, when someone is walking according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, they've sort of lost their reason. They've sort of lost looking at things from a spiritual perspective. So what may seem obvious to us doesn't seem obvious to them. They're being clouded by their sin. So in verse 5, after she returned home, the woman conceived and then sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. One of the things the Bible teaches us is this. We get to choose whether we sin or whether we obey God, but we don't get to choose how it all turns out. We don't get to choose the consequences. We don't get to choose how people react. We don't get to choose things that are obviously out of our control. And, and part of the deception of sin and even how Satan and, and our own flesh offers it is somehow, I can do this and yet I'm going to figure out how this is going to turn out okay. Can't do it. Can't do it. Too many things out of our control. And so... Bathsheba finds herself pregnant. So notice then beginning in verse 6. This is why you know David's in a really bad place. Because instead of doing what God has always told his people to do at this point, which is simply confess it, forsake it, and find mercy and forgiveness from God, David chooses to try to cover it up. 
and hide and conceal. And when we do that, it just leads deeper and deeper into more and more sin. Which is exactly what we see happening here. David sent a message to Joab and said, send me Uriah the Hittite. Because David now has to come up with a plan of how he can try to keep his sin covered up so that no one will find out. So if I send for Uriah and get him back from the battlefield and get him to sleep with Bathsheba and she's pregnant, nobody will ever know the difference. They'll think it's his child, not mine. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked about how Joab and the army were doing and how the campaign was going. Yeah, right. David really didn't care how that was doing. That was, it was all just to get Uriah, but he, he had to make it look good. So he had to seemingly care about what was going on, but he was so absorbed with himself and trying to keep this all covered up that he really didn't care about anybody else at that point. Because he needed to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba as quickly as possible. So David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and relax, verse 8. Here's something interesting. In the Hebrew, the words go down literally mean to descend or to sink. It's almost like what the Bible says. When we're sinking spiritually, we try to grab others and bring them down with us. And whether we intentionally or consciously do it or not, this is something else we learn in this passage, is when you and I sin before God and we do something, it never just affects us. It affects so many other people. When Uriah left the palace, the king also sent a gift to him. In the Hebrew, this gift means literally a royal provision. We don't know exactly what it is. My personal take is it was probably two free nights at the Jerusalem Hilton. (laughs) All expenses paid. Hey, Uriah, you and Bathsheba, check into that resort there and have a good time. But notice, Uriah stayed at the door of the palace with all the servants of his Lord. He did not go down to his house. So they informed David, this isn't going the way David planned, see? It never does. (laughs) Uriah has not gone down to his house. So David said to Uriah, haven't you just arrived from a journey? Why haven't you gone down to your house? Notice Uriah's response, verse 11. The ark and Israel of Judah reside in temporary shelters and my Lord Joab and my Lord's soldiers are camping in an open field. Literally in the Hebrew, they are spread out and exposed. Should I go to my house to eat and drink and have marital relations with my life, with my wife? In a sense, well, Uriah is more honorable than David. Uriah is like, how can I just relax and and pretend like everything's okay when I know that my friends and and, and all of them, they're dying on the battlefield and and we're facing fire from the enemy and and the Ark of the Covenant and all that. I got to get back to where I should be, which is where David should be. Sorry. 
So notice, oh, I wanted to point, so at the end of verse 11, Uriah says, as surely as you are alive, I will not do this thing. It's interesting the word he uses there for alive. In other words, he's saying, David, I I judge that you're alive. The Hebrew word means a revival of spring or flowing fresh water. David is anything but revived spiritually and flowing fresh water spiritually at this point. He's dead. He's dying. Outwardly, it may look like everything's okay with David spiritually, but inside, David and God know where he's at. And I don't even think Bathsheba is clued in at all with what David's trying to do here. And so again, there's a principle of we can fool other people at times, but we can never fool God. God knows exactly where we are spiritually. And then the Bible, when, when Uriah says, I will not do this thing, again, very interestingly in the Hebrew, this word thing means misplaced priorities. In other words, in Uriah's mind, this is messed up. I shouldn't be going down just spending a couple days of leisure with my wife whenever the army of Israel is under attack. This is a defining moment. I need to be back out there on the battlefield. So David says to Uriah, verse 12, stay here another day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem both that day and the following one. And then David summoned him in verse 13. He ate and drank with him and got him drunk. David thought, okay, I can't beat this guy when he's sober. So I got to get a few in him and then maybe he'll go down. You know what we learn about Uriah? Uriah is more honorable drunk than David is sober. Because notice what? In the evening he went out to sleep on his bed with the servants of his Lord. He did not go down to his own house. Wow. This not so much shows us how great Uriah is as much as it shows us how far David has fallen. Again, let's, this is the man after God's own heart, right? This is the sweet singer of Israel. This is, this is the one who slew Goliath. This is the king of Israel. This is the Lord's anointed. This is a man who has that special relationship with God. And yet, look at where he's at and what he's doing. It reminds all of us. It should be very sobering for all of us. If this happened to David, this can happen to any of us. If we do not keep our spiritual walk with God strong and in a good place. So in the morning, verse 14, David gets, it gets even crazier. David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. How bad is that? This guy's carrying his own death sentence back to the battlefield and doesn't even know it. In the letter, he wrote, Station Uriah in the thick of the battle. Literally, the severest, sharpest, hottest part of the battle. And then, withdraw from him. Turn away, literally. Turn against him so he will be cut down and killed. Wow. It all started out with David gazing at a woman who was bathing. 
Then it led to adultery. And now because he doesn't want to just come clean and confess it, now it's going to lead to murder. This is what sin does. It always takes us deeper and further than we ever wanted to go. So the Bible says, Joab kept watch, verse 16, on the city. He stationed Uriah at the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Literally the strongest, the mightiest. And when the men of the city came out, they fought with Joab. Some of David's soldiers fell in battle. Literally, they suffered violent deaths. Uriah the Hittite also died. So Joab sent a full battle report to David. Listen to this. He instructed the messenger as follows. When you finish giving David the battle report to the king, if the king becomes angry, why would he become angry? Because they suffered a lot of losses. It wasn't just Uriah that died. Many of David's mighty men, many of David's best men fell that day. Again, because of David's sin. Because in trying to get Uriah dead, others also died in the process as well. We begin to see how many people this affected. But Joab says, if the king becomes angry and says, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone down on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? Just say to him, well, your servant Uriah the Hittite's also dead. In other words, that'll make it okay. It doesn't matter how many other casualties. It doesn't matter who died. It doesn't matter that we lost, that we were defeated by an inferior enemy. All that matters is Uriah died because all David cared about was himself. He didn't care about anybody else or how it affected anybody else, which is the point we can get to when we get our eyes off God and let the flesh take over our lives. By the way, it's very interesting to me that in the Hebrew, twice in this passage, it talks about getting close to the city. Those words in the Hebrew also mean to have sexual intercourse. And because of what went on earlier with David and Bathsheba, it's the idea that you get close to things you shouldn't get close to. Obviously, tragedy happens. And that's exactly what happened to the army of Israel. Verse 22, so the messenger departed. When he arrived, he informed David of all the news that Joab had sent with him. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and attacked us in the field, but we forced them to retreat all the way to the door of the city gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's soldiers died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Notice what David's response is. David said to the messenger, tell Joab, don't let this thing upset you. Wow. There is no way to anticipate whom the sword will cut down. In other words, eh. Here was a man at one point in his life who cried over other people, who had compassion over one other person, who, who cared about people. And now 
because of sin. He's become so selfish and so self-absorbed that innocent people are literally giving up their lives and dying around him so that he can keep his lie and he doesn't even care. That's pretty cold. Eh, you know, it happens. It's war. Wow. Staggering. So David says, press the battle. Literally, concentrate your force against a city and conquer it. Encourage him with these words. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for him. And when the time of mourning passed, David had her brought to his palace. By the way, literally in the Hebrew, had her brought is sent and collected her. It's another example of him abusing his power. I can cover this up now. I've got another idea. This is how I can look good. Everybody feels bad for Bathsheba because now she's a widow. But now if I take her in and and then we have sexual relations and and then the baby's born, everybody's just going to think it's okay and I'm going to get away with it still. This is going to turn out good for me. She became his wife and bore him a son. But what David had done upset the Lord. couple things. And then we'll close tonight. First of all, what David had done literally means in the Hebrew what he was occupied with what he was focused on, what his business was all about, say, for the last couple of weeks or months. And again, what this reminds us of is that all of this didn't just fall out and happen. It, 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 is, a, it is the result of weeks and years of making small, maybe, bad decisions that end up then to this point. That's why way back when David started taking Wives, he was sowing something that now he's ended up reaping big time. It may not have shown up very negatively at that point, but as we always are reminded, the Bible teaches us that we never reap in the same season that we sow. So what was sown back here now is being reaped big time here. Same thing with his weakened spiritual condition. He didn't get this weak and far away from God overnight. Somewhere along the line, he stopped spending time in God's presence and worshiping God and spending time with godly people and getting into God's Word to the point where he now was in such a weakened condition. So that's such an important principle for all of us to remember. It's not just where we are, but it's where we're going and what we're becoming. And are we moving forward or are we going backward? Because eventually, one way or the other, it's going to show up down the road, positively or negatively. Either either our neglect of what we should be doing is going to somewhere along the line show up or the positive things that we're doing right now 
the sowing to the Spirit is going to benefit us down the road and it's going to show up. And then I want to talk about this word upset. God was upset. The word means displeased, to say the least, because David had done evil, wicked, causing hurt and injury is what the word means in the Hebrew. Yeah, you could say that. David caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of injury. Think about the lives that were lost and ruined because of what David did. And we're not over yet. The consequences continue to fall out through the rest of the book of 2 Samuel. Two other things, and then we'll close. Notice it says, What David had done upset the Lord. Do you realize if you read along with me or followed along with me that this is the first mention of God in this chapter? Doesn't that tell us a lot? When David was winning battles and conquering his enemies and triumphing, it was because he and God were there together and they were doing it together. David has now got to a place in his life where he's doing this all on his own and God is nowhere to be found. And it's a warning for all of us to make sure that we stay close with God and keep walking with God and keep ourselves close to Him and not walking away from Him. Because when we walk away from God and start to live life on our own, it may not end up like this, but it's certainly not going to end well. It's not going to end well. But now I want to transition for just a moment to set up next week, chapter 12. I want to end on an encouraging note, so please hang in there with me for just a moment. In spite of what David has done, God still loves David. And God is not finished with David. And God still has a purpose and a future for David. And that's why he's going to confront David through the prophet Nathan. He loves David that much. That's who our God is. All of us have probably had a situation or two in our life we wish we had done over, we wish we hadn't done, or whatever. A mulligan. A do-over. We fail. But what we've got to remember is, even in our failure, just like with David, God never stopped loving David. God was going to forgive David. God still had a purpose for David. God had a future for David. But the only way David could move on and get to what God had was to be willing to say, you're right, God. I sinned. I was wrong. And once he did that, 
then God began to heal David, if you will, from the inside out and began to move David back to a good place with him. It was never going to happen as long as David kept trying to cover, conceal, and hide. In fact, many of the Psalms, Psalm 32, are written in this nine-month period between the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12 where God gave David nine months to come clean. And finally, God said, I love you too much, David. You need to own up to this so that we can move on. Because until you do, you and I can't move ahead. You've got to own up and take responsibility for what you've done. I'll forgive you. We'll move on. I've got more for you. But only after you're willing to say, I've sinned. So, in spite of what we've seen tonight and heard and been challenged with, it's not all negative. We're going to see that there's a lot of positives that come out of this very tragic time in David's life. And that's true for a lot of us, a lot of people. That's why Paul could say, God can work all things together for good to those who love Him. Remember that tonight. Stay close to the Lord. If you're not in a good place with God, take that first step tonight to get back there. Don't end up as far away from God as David did. It's not a good place to be. Not only for ourselves, but we see the damage that we can do to so many others when you and I aren't in a good place with God, just like David. Let's pray. God, this certainly is a sobering chapter. And yet, Lord, you placed it in the Word because you wanted your people, after this event happened, to have this as a reminder, as a remembrance, as a challenge as an example, as a model of what to do and what not to do. And so, God, I pray that throughout David's life, there were certainly many times and many situations where it's good to follow David's example. There are many times in David's life where he was a great example for us who are followers of Christ. But tonight we've come to a chapter where for the most part, this chapter is teaching us what not to do. And this is a chapter that reminds us that David was human. That even though he was so awesome, spiritually in so many ways for so long that he was human and he failed. And yet, Lord, we're going to see out of this chapter that with any of us, our failure is never final when we place our failure and our sin into your hands. That you always are a God who continually loves and forgives 
and has something more for us if we'll simply come to You and confess what we've done and take responsibility for it. So God, challenge us with this tonight. Help us all to stay close and keep growing with You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you on Sunday.